As a team leader, I face new challenges every day. Fortunately, I found Teams Global. Their e-learning platform makes it easy to take hyper-relevant courses like giving and receiving feedback, ownership to action, and managing virtual teams. Teams Global allows me to learn on my schedule and at a price I can afford. Check out Teams Global today at T-E-A-M-E-S-Global.com and become the leader that your team needs you to be. Teams Global has a special gift for you, the listeners of the Building Teams podcast. Use the code PODCAST10, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0, when checking out for any Teams Global course for a 10% discount on your order. Sign up for a course today. Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co., where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Well, hey, everybody, welcome in to this week's edition of the Building Teams with Teams & Co. podcast. I'm sitting here with Brandon Miller, the CEO of 34 Strong. Cannot wait to have this conversation. Um, before we get started, would encourage everybody who's tuning in, whether you're you know, a, an old listener who's been with us for a long time or a brand new listener, would encourage you to give us a thumbs up, uh, give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you could go ahead and leave us a comment, uh, we always appreciate those. And uh, if you leave us a question, we will get back to you with our thoughts and answers. So always appreciate the engagement with our listeners. Uh, but without further ado, Brandon, welcome in. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time. Brandon, I was looking at your your LinkedIn. I was looking all over the the 34 Strong website and I'm just so excited and intrigued to hear your story. Let's uh let's start there. What what's your story? You know, I uh come from a long line of challenging workplaces, like some others may have had similar experiences and I got to tell you, taking the entrepreneur journey and deciding to, well, I'm going to go build my own better version of that is yeah. a lot easier said than done. And uh, so I was looking for an operating system at one point. Operating system around how do you develop people? How do you build great teams? How do you build a great brand, a great, great company, a great organization? And so I, my journey led me down a path of thinking differently about development. Uh, subsequently, you know, decided to launch that into a full initiative to help build great places to work. And we like to say starting with our own. So sure. my, my passion is to have a great place for people to come and work. And then hopefully through our efforts and energy with, with inspired and, and enthusiastic people, see them have uh, amazing workplaces. Yeah, that's great. And you know, I, I feel like most entrepreneurs, most successful entrepreneurs uh, see a pain point and you know, most people who experience that pain point themselves are much more passionate and they have a, a higher degree of stickiness to work through the inevitable pain points and downtimes and challenges of the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the the pain point that you had identified that that inspired you to go take this, you know, this big leap into the entrepreneurial world? So you might think you had a bad boss, listener, um, but I had the worst. Mine was the worst. No. <laughs> and we could we could all draw straws on who really had the worst boss. But I, I had a pretty terrible situation. And okay. the catalyst to my journey, because I've grown up being uh, the kid that could go sell the most candy on the, the deal or the kid that could, you know, if, if, if something needed to be sold or convinced, I'm a natural born salesperson as the thing goes. So I, I'm good at that. And I knew I could do it. Building an organization is different and building an organization yeah. where you really take care and take interest in being a great leader, a great boss, great manager. And so based on my experience and then um, being exposed to a different way of thought, a different way to look at leadership, to look at management really inspired me. And so I, a day occurred where I was at a, a job that wasn't good, uh, where a leader who happens to be the worst boss in the world walks into my office and hands me this book. And he says, hey, we we should do this. And it was always code for this guy walking in to give me something else to do. That was mm -hmm. code for you should do this. So I get the you should do this. But in this case, I got into this book called Now Discover Your Strengths. And I get into this book and I'm reading it. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and as I'm going through it, it's like, like lightning has struck my brain. It was mm -hmm. 
wow, there is a better way to think about people that engages them. And this term engages them, makes them want to stay, to play, to, to have a great attitude, to work hard. And so I had the the opportunity to roll out this program with 28 people. So I got myself into mm. some training, um, had a half day, and that was enough as a, I'm an activator by one of my strengths. Like, we're going to go learn as we go. And I was so caught in how effective it was un- until it wasn't, until the aforementioned leader helped to like implode the whole thing while it was going great. Um, but what I walked away from was, this works. I know it works. I've seen it even in a toxic environment work. I wonder what it would be like if we could go into places and catch them at a phase where leaders really bought in. We could get alignment between them and their managers down into their teams. What if we had it go? And so I ended up uh, catching the Gallup organization at a good time. Uh, they had just decided to to do a global certification. So I was one of the first seven that was brought in to be certified by them and um, there are 34 different strengths in their assessment called Clifton Strengths or Strengths Finder. Uh, that's why my company's called 34 Strong. And uh, I, I got to launch it in February of 2013. And here we are now doing this work with strengths and engagement inside of organizations. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on on taking the leap and, you know, for being in business. And from what I can tell, it looks like thriving, doing work in the public sector, work in the private sector. It sounds like you've come a long way. We'd love to hear sort of what's happened since 2013. Yeah. So we are the uh, classic bootstrap model for those of you who are familiar with Lean Startup. And I have an amazing business partner named Darren Virasamy. And we uh, were, were philosophically aligned in how we wanted to build. We, we decided, you know, we're we're going to build this in a way that we're 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 gonna we're gonna see what we have. We're gonna test it, grow it, and, and not get ahead of ourselves. So we uh, brought in a, a uh, an accounting system called Profit First. So we we rethought how we would account for our business. Went to market to see where where's it at, and uh, it was really cool that right out of the gate we found ourselves in places like the FDA in Silver Springs, Maryland. Found ourselves inside of. Uh, the the Department of Public Health in our state found ourselves in some really cool large companies like the American Licorice Company, 115 year old licorice wow. uh, producer. Yeah, really cool story. Fifth generation, like so, some family businesses, some government businesses, and then as we started to progress, um, for those of you that have employees and you might be a founder, I found myself as the chief everything officer. I did everything. I, I was I was all things to all people. And uh, our growth truly happened when Brandon let go of that and decided yeah. I can't be the chief everything officer. I got to transition to a different role. I'm now the chief energy officer, <laughs> <laughs> responsible for the vision, responsible for the the passion, emotion. Uh, so in between there, of course, has been a lot of learned lessons, a lot of trials, a lot of what we call tuition, uh, being paid on what to do, what not to do, how to how to grow a healthy organization. Yeah, really interesting. So let's let's dig in, you know, real quick for those that aren't familiar with the strengths finders, the now discover your strengths framework. Can you give just a a little overview as to the core philosophies and what that tool is? Yeah, so I I'm a father of seven kids. And for those of you listening who are parents or those of you who had parents, um you no doubt had somewhere in your life multiple report card conversations. So the report card would come in, you would share it with whomever you were giving that to, or if you're receiving it as the parent. And typically when we as parents look at a report card, we're seeing the high marks, great, A, 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 C, a B. But if a C, let's say there's a C, a lonely C in the midst of these A's and B's, most of us are taught to jump right to that C. Mm. In fact, most of us are going to spend 80 to 90% of our time remediating our child's C instead of celebrating the A's. The strengths-based approach in a nutshell simply flips the narrative. It says, what if we spend 80 to 90% of our times building up those A's, talking about where the kid is really successful, investing in those A's, and then managing around the C. So shifting the narrative, shifting the time, literally the time devoted, that's the strengths-based organizational shift that we encourage people to make is let's think differently about our people. Let's position them to do more of what they do best every day. And in exchange for that, what we think you're going to get back, in fact, we've proven it over and over again, is you're going to get more engaged people who are happier, better team members. They will stay with your organization longer and prove out stronger over time. Yeah. 
And I like what you said there because there certainly is a responsibility to clean up the weaknesses, right? To make sure that you're managing them and making sure that you're not, you know, imploding your value proposition as an employee to an organization or as a family member or as a friend uh, based on, you know, not spending any time managing the weaknesses. So, so can you tell a little bit more about sort of that interplay? So really doubling down on the strengths and saying, you know, you're never going to be or be exceptionally difficult to be differentiated and build a really successful career on the basis of a weakness. But right. that doesn't mean you can completely abdicate your responsibility in managing weaknesses. Absolutely. And when we think about, so I'll just stay in the narrative of of parenting for those that can jump into this. When my daughter, I'll use uh, Madeline. She's my five out of seven. So when she was in sixth grade, hands me a report card. And I'm looking at the A's, the A's, the A's, one B and one C. And my natural proclivity was to jump into the C minus in math. Mm-hmm. What happened in math? And so that day I decided to just just lead with the A plus in reading. Mm-hmm. Ask her about reading. Ask her why she enjoys reading. Ask her what makes that a strong subject. And then to make an investment. Madeline, it appears you really like to read. Would you like to further read? This happened to me at the end of the school year over the summer. And and set up a reward system. And she was like, yeah. So we did that. And, and over the summer, we we really did invest in something she loved to do. Now, I was not going to ignore math. Math, math is a necessary point of learning for life. It's mm-hmm. right, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, no passes here, right? Got to know this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so what I did, though, is, is by investing in Madeline's energy and as a child, her confidence, her resilience, that she did have areas where she stood out where she was really, she would shine and have a shine in her eyes and I would see it reflected. I built into that confidence. I built into that place where I was pulling out her creativity so that by the time it was, it was ready for us to, you know, a couple months in, let's go do some math tutoring, Madeline. What do you think? I had a child going, sure, dad, absolutely. Because Mm -hmm. I had invested, if you think about just the energy in her tank, I'd invested in areas where I was bringing into her areas where she had that resilience, confidence, um, you know, push back on. Yeah, I, you know, I know what I am. So when we went to remediate, and we did, uh, I had a willing participant who acknowledged, even to this day, Madeline is now a senior in high school, about to graduate, looking at college. Math has never been her favorite. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it will, but she's proficient. She can, she can do well. She, she understands what she needs to. And then other subjects flourish. So, the, so if I took that exact case study and I just made it into a manager review conversation mm-hmm. and we spent more time positioning an employee to do the things that we would say and they would say, stand out ability. You're excellent here because a strengths approach demands performance. It demands excellence because once you and I agree, this is your, your genius, you got to give it to me. But then, you know, making sure that I'm dealing with a confident person, assured focus in a good spot, oh yeah, we're going to probably do some development, some remediation if there's a gap that we need for that customer experience to meet our objectives for the role you committed to. Yeah. So Brandon, walk with me, walk me through sort of your your methodology, your process. Like when you step into an organization, how do you how do you go about engaging the leaders and the employees of that organization in order to to help them adapt ultimately this th- this approach? So the first thing we do when we're talking to leaders is we try to connect to the concept of employee engagement. Mm -hmm. So we want to talk first about how they think they're doing with the engagement levels of their their organization. And we really clue into how engaged are your leaders and your managers? How are you doing there? And, And most leaders, you know, asking that question would want to say, we're doing great. Yeah. Our leaders and managers are all on board. They're in sync. So, well... Tell you what, what if there was a way we could tell where you're at? What if we could give you a, a point of, of order to say, this is actually what's going on? So the company that we worked with, uh, the CEO, he said, uh, he said, you know, I have 137 managers and I'd like to think over 80% of them would be engaged as compared to not engaged or what we call actively disengaged. Think mm-hmm. of people who are through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not happy. They're they're working against us. So we said, let's go ahead and figure this out. Let's let's do a survey. So we administer, it's a 12-point survey, takes the user three to five minutes, super fast. 
You're just ranking these statements on a scale of one to five. And the algorithm is built to tell that leader the percentage of engaged, disengaged, and actively disengaged leaders. In this case, 37% were how many leaders were engaged in this organization. Wow. And upon looking at the numbers, this leader and the executive team said, we absolutely see it. We absolutely see it. This is not okay with us. And now we're ready to start looking at interventions. What's the next intervention to help move that needle? Yeah. We do things similarly at Teams & Co. is we come in and, and start with an organizational assessment. And what we hear so often is, you know, for instance, if we're talking about something like a vision statement or a mission statement, I think there's a common belief that most organizational leaders have that everybody knows those statements, knows exactly where to find them, has internalized them, believes strongly in them, and is actively working to to achieve the company's vision and mission. And what we find so often is that's that's not true. There are disconnects. People don't even know what it is or or where it is. And once they do see it, they say, you know, that's not really what we do. We actually do this other thing. So right. I, I think there's there's this interesting, you know, theme of the health of being able to come into an organization, do a, a data-driven pulse check that allows leaders to understand, you know, maybe they do have their finger on the pulse of the company really well, but oftentimes when you go out and and actually talk to the people and gather data, you realize that there there likely are disconnects. Yeah, and when we when we discover that, one of the primary questions, Mike, we like to know is when it comes to the middle layer of managers. Many organizations, public or private, invest in leaders. When we ask about the investment into the middle layer, so emerging supervisors up through whatever level they'd say this is the middle, what investment is being made? to teach these people how to engage their employees. So we did a did a survey among a thousand CEOs, mid-sized privately held companies. And out of that survey, we found that less than 5% had any meaningful training hmm. for their middle managers and over half had none. Wow. Nothing. So essentially, hey, Mike, congratulations. You're an amazing salesperson. We think that you're the top of the mark. So we're going to go ahead and promote you now and ask you to go ahead and do that thing with this team over here, get a mic, go make that happen. And sadly, there it is. <laughs> that's the that's the best instruction they got was do what you did as a great technician with that team. Yeah, and it's a different skill set, right? The, totally. The, teaching and coaching and mentoring and educating and encouraging and inspiring and incentivizing people to do a good job is a very different skill than doing it yourself. So let's do a let's do a double click into that concept because I think it's super important. Um as you have worked with both your own team and I love the fact that you said earlier, hey, we start with ourselves and then you apply it to other organizations. What sort of training do you recommend? Let's start maybe with just first-time leaders. If it's somebody who is yeah. being promoted from the role of, you know, technician or executor of something to leading or managing, how do you recommend uh, or what sort of training do you recommend people use to 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 get up to speed? Yeah, so we I'll, I'll start with some of the concepts. So one of the first concepts we want to teach emerging managers is this idea of what we call the four T's. And essentially, we tell them, look, there are four components to successful managers. Think of it like four legs of a table. And you're going to want all four legs or your table is going to be tough to keep up while you're trying to do something on it. And so we think about, first of all, technical knowledge and experience. It actually is Good if you're good at the thing you're going to manage. Oh, yeah. You don't have to be the best, but technical proficiency is important. Some people can get away with managing into a field that they're not the, the, the expert. Uh, that's tough and that's rare. So, more often than not, we want that. Number two, your tenure. So, we talk about having a good reputation in the organization, whether you're an emerging new manager, you came from somewhere else, but your tenure either here or somewhere else provides a basis of your reputation, your respect platform. So we tell these are these are two really important. Um, most of the time, though, just because this often comes up, those are the two only reasons people are promoted. Sure. <laughs> is because they have the technical proficiency, good enough reputation, good references and such. So three, we get into talent. And when we talk about talent to be a manager, what we have to establish is we have each of us different variations of the ideal talent to be a manager. Very few of us arrive 
with all the talents. Sure. So becoming aware of what resources do I have naturally that are going to help me be a great manager. So that's that's probably one of the most important pieces we teach new managers is you can't be a manager like Mike's a manager or Brandon's a manager. You're going to be a manager the way you're going to be a manager with some parameters to work within, but your personality is going to come through, your strengths, if you will, your talents. Let's help you figure out individualizing what that's going to be. And then fourth is it's all about applicable tools. So the training and tools that they can put their hands on and turn around and apply. And and we talk a lot about training them to shift in mindset from being someone's boss Mm -hmm. to being someone's coach, to being a coaching manager, coaching leader, and, and all of the effectiveness of why that leads to higher levels of engagement, why you get more retention, why you have uh, safer, more productive people in that mode. So those are the the four T's we operate, whether they're most times new emerging or they've been in the role and just haven't connected what great management might look like. Yeah. Do most leaders, people stepping into a new role or if they've been there for a while, do they know? Do they know here are the things that I'm really good at and here are my gaps? Most of them can describe their gaps better than what they're good at. Okay. Most of them, because because we have a negativity bias. Yeah. So it's every every person. It's it's built in our DNA or it's our biology, right? We we threat assess first, hmm. and it's why it's why when you know Cliff Don Clifton wrote his book on strengths, all he was saying was, "Hey, look, I get it. We lead this way. It's it's part of our. It's how we survive." And at the same time, it's being overused. What if we shifted? And to his point, he said, look, it's an approach we already use in athletics. We already mm-hmm. use this in performing arts. We position people to do what they do best in these fields. So I'm not coming up with a new thing. I'm just introducing it into management, education, parenting were his three areas. So when people think about what they're good at as a manager, sometimes that they start with, well, I don't like this part. <laughs> I don't huh. care for that. I wish people would stop being so messy. And and so a little bit of the tilt around, okay, well, now let's start to look at what you are great at. Yeah. And and so an assessment can help. We we like the strengths finder. It, it's a good one. But there are others that just give some clues, some language around what it is that you bring as a part of this role. And uh, Mike, that's a big part of training because what we have found, and this is nearly 100% last time I checked, in every one of our trainings – we will meet at least one manager who says, you know what? Um, I liked being really good at my job and I don't prefer being a manager. Yeah. And and I'd like permission to go back. Right. And we, we applaud that decision. We tell them, hey, this isn't for – not everyone has the talent or the initiative to even want to be great at this job. And if you're great at being the IT professional in the organization, why don't we – let's develop that track for you and make it a, a smooth off-ramp. And then let's look for the person that really wants to manage in this space. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such an important point is, you know, there's not one successful or success isn't linear, right? It's, there's not just one success definition. It's going to vary based on each person and what matters to each person and, and what they're good at. So I think that's a really important thing for, you know, all of our, our listeners to take away is, you know, and we all have a bias to understand this is how I look at success. I am motivated by these things. And to me, this is what what a successful career looks like or a successful personal life looks like, et cetera. And I think it's really important what you just said there, Brandon, is working with team members to understand, seek to understand first, what does success look like to you? And then how can I partner with you to help work towards that success definition? Absolutely. When we think about this, Mike, we, we're looking at how to help a manager evaluate what, you know, what skills am I bringing and what skills can I develop? Because there is the good news. You, you have talents that can be honed and sharpened, even if you don't, it's a new skill set, but we, we make sure you have what it is to get there. And then while we're in that mode of helping influence, we then can bring to them, all right, let's talk about basic management function. Let's talk about like jobs one and job two. And they're very simple. And they come right off of the survey we administered. Job number one, make sure every team member knows exactly what you expect of them. Mm-hmm. No ambiguity. Like make sure they know what you want, when you want it, what 
success, what excellence looks like, don't leave them guessing. That is that is almost every employer's employee's greatest challenge is I'd give you what you want <laughs> if you help me to know what you want in the way that I understand it. So we we talk about understanding learning styles and how people receive information. As a manager, you get to adapt your message to make sure it's landing with your listener. You're trying to maximize retention. We talk about you know having enough one-to-one private interactions where they can tell you if they don't know, and it's okay if they don't because that's what you're there for yeah. is to fill in the blind spots and the gaps. So that's number one. Number two is if they know it's expected of them, make sure they have the tools and resources to do the job. <laughs> make sure that they have the software, the hardware, the the support structure, the the IT help. Make sure they have what they need to deliver what you expect. Yeah. Because Mike, when we when we sample size in organizations, we call these just the basic needs of every employee that managers job one and two, right? We find that less than 50% of a team will say that they are a five out of five on knowing what's expected of them. Wow. Many of them have a, na- a gap and the gap is often like this, Mike. I ask you, hey boss, what do you what do you need from me? You explain it in a way that I'm not all the way clear on. Can you say that again, Mike? Can you bring more clarity? And maybe somewhere along the way it's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Why aren't you getting this? Maybe, maybe you lost patience. And maybe in that exchange, someone overheard us. So I'm a little embarrassed now. So the next time I come to ask you, hey, Mike, what do you want me to do? This, this, and this. And I'm walking away, not sure, but I'm not going to ask you this time because you right. embarrassed me last time. So now I have just cut off communication. So if you were to ask me, do you know what's expected of you? As much as I can. And this exchange happens over and over and over. And that's one of the core areas we really seek to teach is own expectations, manager. Own that one. That's on you. Your job is to make sure they got it. If they don't, come back and you reset that. I think that's such a wonderful example, right? One of the things we talk about a lot in this podcast and and a lot of our listeners will know is it's so much easier to, like it's easy to intellectually accept, should you set clear expectations? Yes. It's very difficult to do so. And I think that example is a really good one where managers, it's not their intent of course, they would say, of course, I want to be open. And of course, I want my employees to to feel comfortable asking for clarity if they don't have it. But in the real world, frustration and short timelines and so many things get in the way. So what practical tools would you, you know, coach our listeners to use? Yeah. It, so the first thing we, we would tell any leader, and, and I lump myself into this, the power of the the consistent and persistent one-to-one interactions with your team members. Yep. I have found no substitute. I do recognize there are cases where there's a one to 50 ratio manager to team member. And to you, I say we have something we call 10 for a good buddy, 10 minutes, four questions, high five. Like you can get it down to simple ways to have those interactions in 10 minutes if you needed to in wow. those larger contexts. But most of us managing in the professional space aren't managing 50 people. Yeah. Or, or you know, maybe maybe three, maybe five, maybe at the most eight to ten. That's a lot, by the way, uh, a whole lot. So, so that frequency of interaction, where not only Mike, am I attending to making sure you know your basic needs, but I'm making sure I know you, right? And I know enough about you as a person that if I see performance struggling, and I know enough to know that you have young children, I or I know enough to know that. You have a, an ailing parent. I know enough to know that you have uh, some things going on in your finances. Then I actually now can apply the professional standard with the personal awareness because I've spent enough time with you and I knowing what is professionally expected and what's personally realistic. Yeah. And 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 because I think one of the things the pandemic did, Mike, is it erased the line between personal and professional. I, I think I think knowing that we're all in our homes, we're trying to figure out life. <laughs> I, I, and I actually think it's in a good way because I think it's forcing us to see our people, know our people, understand them so we can have some backstory knowledge. So the power of that one-to-one, if that's not regular. Two, I would say, say this, structure the one-to-one enough to where the person knows what they're walking into. Mm-hmm. Agenda, clarity. Because that way, if I go, hey, Mike, I need to meet with you today. And you're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> Right. And and then when we ask, I ask my own team members this. If I send them a text, we need to talk. Even if I'm just like, 
hey, I want to tell you you did a great job. They'll they'll write back, what did I do? And I'm like, what do you mean, what'd you do? I just wanted to give you a high five. Yeah, you did a good job. (laughs) Yeah. But that's never the assumption. Right, because some people just (laughs) naturally are like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. They're expecting the other shoe to drop or others. So agenda. If you have questions you're going to ask, send them in advance. Let them know what's coming. Don't, you know, annual reviews should never be a mystery. We should know where we stand with each other. Along the way, I have found that having the consistent interactions and giving clarity of what we're going to cover, even if it's a, we set 30, we're done in 15, great. Goodbye. Get on. And and that has proven to be one of the most impactful things that we we see consistently with people that we, we work with. And now... Let's hear about the wonderful people that support this podcast. Are you spending more time managing your accounting than you are managing your team? Maybe it's time to bring on a professional to help you. Michelle Trotz and her team are an accounting and consulting firm that specializes in contract accounting, outsourced CFO and consulting services. They give you the time that you need to focus on operating your organization. Give the Michelle Trotz CPA, CFE, PLLC firm a call today to schedule your free consultation at 828-280-2530. Again, that's 828-280-2530. You don't have to run your organization alone. Michelle Trotz is your partner in accounting. One of the things that we coach new leaders on in particular. And we actually, we just launched an online learning platform called Teams Global. And uh, one of the very first courses that we put together was for first-time leaders because we noticed this gap in most organizations we work with where it's that exact same premise you talked about, Brandon, where there's a really, somebody's really good at executing, they're promoted to a new role and they're not ever equipped on how to do that. And one of the things that we... And again, it's not rocket science. It's all these things that you know general you know generally you should set an agenda, you should be clear, you should be intentional in communication. It's just hard in practice. And one of the other things that I think is important in that conversation is sharing a good job or or an attaboy publicly and sharing, you know, building up your team members when there's something to applaud in public, and then sharing the here's where you can work on on things in private. So that's another interesting dynamic that I think is, I've seen so many times in organizations where the intent is good. The intent is either to have a coachable moment for a team, but can be seen by the employee at times as just being berated publicly, uh, which is so demotivating. So one of the worst, I would add to what you said, because when we talk about our, our uh, core needs of those that we lead, um, you just hit on the hottest button we're working on right now. Hmm. Recognition. Yeah. Like that is in, in our economy, in the work we do, if I can solve the recognition crisis, I call it because hmm. people in organizations literally starve to hear they're doing a good job. Yeah. Starve to hear they're on the right track, starve to hear that they're making a difference. And and it's in large part because it does it may not cascade from leadership down. It might not be a point of emphasis in the organization. And so so whether it comes grassroots or whether the organization is making a concerted effort, what we know about recognition, the science tells us that each one of us needs at minimum three qualified touches a month. Mm. At minimum. So in a calendar month, I need to know, ideally from my boss, but it could be a coworker, colleague, even a customer, that I am on the right track. That's the minimum. Some of us need more. Some of us can get away with two. But each one of us, because if you think about it, each of us walking around with our bucket of bucket of goodness, what we have to give, if we're just giving, giving, giving with nothing coming in, we get stale, we get tired, we get thirsty, and we suffer for it. And it's the pandemic, I think, forced this one to, to such a front end, such an important point, because we've actually learned with engagement that if we can solve regular recognition, it starts to cover over they get better at expectations. They're doing good with making sure we have the right stuff. So it's it, I'm right there with you on that. That if if our if your listeners can hear this, think about the last time you commended a report if you have one, mm-hmm. and and think about the frequency with which you do it, and ask yourself this question: Do you know the ideal way that they receive recognition at the highest level? Because you can mess that up, unfortunately. Yeah. So to learn that. 
Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And it starts with, you know, I, I think close to where we started this conversation, which is seeking to understand before seeking to be understood, really seeking to learn your employees and to know your employees and and to have your finger on the the pulse of their lives where they're not just a, where you're not treating them transactionally, where you know who they are, where you know what motivates them, and then creating spaces to to encourage them and especially in ways that they like to be encouraged. And, and we know that differs by person. So, um, Brandon, I, let's, you know, I, I would be remiss not to ask more about the strengths finders approach and the 34 strong would love to hear just using you as a case study would love to hear more about as you look at yourself, what are your personal strengths? How do you use them on a day-to-day basis? And how do you manage around the areas that aren't your natural strengths? Sure. So I uh, lead with a strength called maximizer. So essentially, I like to find things that are strong and make them stronger. I love to optimize. So good to great, the great book by Collins. uh, That's my mantra. I'm always looking, seeing, focusing. And behind that, I'm an achiever. So a lot of stamina, a lot of drive. I like to be busy, like to be productive. Um, And then third, I'm an activator. So that means I'm catalytic. And not a wait and see kind of guy. I'm a let's go, let's learn as we do it, let's make it happen. And so the first and third strength are not as common. Those strengths are ones that you see in about 10 to 15% of population. Achievers, the most common, about 35% of people will land there. Hmm. I round it out with strategic and arranger. I like to say those are the two that keep me out of trouble. <laughs> strategic gives me a way to see what's coming, choose different course and paths and arrangers. Just when it comes to team building, that's one of the uh, ideal strengths because arrangers are natural delegators. We're very comfortable sharing credit. Hmm. We're, we're, if you do it, if you do it better, if you perform with excellence, it's the conductor of the orchestra. I want you to put you in the right chair in the right place to do the best job. So some would say that my interest in strengths is very much aligned with my natural, my natural talents. Um, so building on that meant that I also have an edge towards entrepreneurship. So three of those strengths maximizer, arranger, and strategic, you find a lot in startup folks. You find a lot of those with people that are willing to head out because one of my instructors at Gallup said, yeah, it's the set. That set you find a lot of founders Mm. because they just, they need to be nimble. They need to know how to change. They got to adjust. So um, those have helped me tremendously as a leader. And they've also required me to dig deeper in how they also can work against me. Hmm. So when measuring strengths using any assessment, we like to tell you that it's 80% actual, so who you are probably today, and 20% aspirational, Hmm. who you hope to become, where you want to get. And so testing and retesting on any psychometric assessment, um, some say, oh, your first one is the most valid. I like to say, no, I don't agree. I think think test-retest reliability validates the authentic you. You get to see which are the real core ones. So for example, I've taken Clifton Strengths four times. The odds of someone getting the same five, even in different orders, like one in 286,000. Wow. So the last two times I took it, I got the same five. And, and so I, I figured, okay, these are my ride or dies. Like this is it. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not getting a new me. So here <laughs> we go. I'm in my 40s now. Better figure out a good way to leverage these because these incredible assets amazing strengths are also my greatest liabilities at the exact same time. So some might say, because when you take Clifton strengths, you have access to see number one to 34. Hmm. And some might say, well, 34, that's probably your greatest weakness. That's probably the area of greatest concern. And I say, oh no, that would be number one. (laughs) Number one is your greatest strength and your greatest weakness, potentially in the same patterns. Interesting. Different sides of the coin. So that has been probably in my 17 years, seeing probably you know 5,000 strength reports, maybe 10 at this point, um, really helping people understand this is just to give you the snapshot into you today. It's like an x-ray. You get to validate it. Look for what makes these things awesome. Be aware though, and a coach can always help with this, look at the other side. And, and sometimes, interestingly enough, Mike, people validate these results on what isn't the best use of them hmm. more than how the best use shows up. And, and so then, then the journey begins. How do I become a great maximizer? How do I, how do I get the most of my achiever? How do I 
tame this activator because if you ever talk to an activator they'll tell you it needs taming you got to hold that tiger in a cage often. <laughs> very, very intense strength so learning how to learning how to engage with that has been great so then when we're training managers now ah okay now we know what tools you get to work with we know how they're going to serve you amazing and now let's also coach you on what you need to watch out for yeah. Yeah. So just to take that one level deeper, using Achiever, because that's a, it sounds like a very, um, a very um, com- the most common, the most common. It's the most common. I, I, I just dug a mine. I haven't taken this in over a decade, um, but Achiever was, was one of mine as well. So just using that as a, as a quick case study, sure. um, how can Achiever as a strength be a downside? How can that be a yeah, liability? So th- think about, it, when you have tasks to do, okay, mm-hmm. and think about the times, Mike, when you've had more tasks than time. Yep. And and if you were going to short an area, and if it was compared to the task or the people, it's possible you'd short the people to get the task done. Sure. Meaning I got a lot to do. It's now the weekend. I could spend time with people I care about, or I could work on the Saturday and get my to-do list done. Right. Achievers naturally find more gratification task completion than depending on what's around it, what other strengths than people areas. So one of their watchouts is that tasks can become more important than people accomplishment over relationship. Right. And, and so what that can lead to is becoming a workaholic sure, and, and over committing, burning the candle at both ends. So that's, that's the part that every achiever I have ever worked with <laughs> It would acknowledge, oh yeah, I have stamina for days. I have lots of endurance, usually more than most people around me. I, I can be a machine and then I have to pause and go, but at what cost? Am I costing my health, my relationships? What's happening? What's the wake? So that's a, it's an example of that one. Yeah. Thanks for, for diving in there. That one resonates personally. Um, and two, I think is just a, a great example of there's a lot of nuance. And one thing I saw on your LinkedIn that I appreciate is people are messy and it's not a one size fits all. And there's, there's going to be degrees to which our natural proclivities are strengths and and really, really valuable assets. But then also there is a flip side. And I think that, I I just think that's an important point. I think it's an important point for people to have the intention to self-reflect and understand one, what are my strengths? And Strengths Finders is a tremendous tool to to use to help that. And there are other tools as well. But then also to to not stop at, oh, well, here's all the assets I have, but also step back and recognize, oh man, here are the things that I need to watch out for. And, and maybe ask my wife or some close friends well, or, or other And that's people. exactly right, Mike, because the 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 <laughs> latest report Gallup came up with, it's my favorite. In my opinion, best report they could have ever made huh. is we now have the ability to give you a report with your top 10. So um, when you take this assessment, typically your top 10 are going to be your most dominant. So even if you retook it, it's very likely seven or eight of those are going to stay there. This is your core of how you how you work, how you live, how you engage. Okay, And so this report, what they did a really great job is they show you how your achiever is going to make you a really great manager, very successful, but it also shows you exactly how it's going to work against you. Hmm. And, and it's by far um, when that came out a little over a year ago, it has become our go-to now when we're training managers, because I I'll say personally training the managers on our team, we did a whole series about just take one of your strengths and we're going to intention to make it a better version of that self. And we're going to give time to really form some new habits it has been amazing to hear from our team as we're just taking one and really digging in and really uprooting some of those so those those bad habits and and shifting it to a better way to manage a more effective way to do our work. Yeah, I, I'm so curious to hear more about that. And I think this is a really natural transition into 34 strong. And so when you so when you come in and and I think you spoke a little bit earlier about some of the first things you do in an organization, but would love to hear more about how you use a tool like the Strengths Finders to work with an organization and some of the different activities. Like I, I'm so curious about this one where you take a strength and and sort of workshop it. So can, can you tell us more about yeah, just how you work with organizations? Yeah. So when we when we get to the point where we know we're going to solve. Uh, for manager engagement, leadership engagement first. That's 
And and you described earlier making sure we have value alignments. We want to tend to that. Making sure that that behaviors, virtues, uh, culture, right, repeated norms. So once we're there, we're going to move into a recommendation to train leaders and managers. And and the very first training they get is an understanding of the relationship between why people engage and don't engage at work. What is it that causes them to engage and not engage? And so what we introduce in that session is you have two options for how you will develop people, only two. The conventional approach is to spend 80% of the time on their C's. It's what we're rooted in. Very few of us know different naturally or by how we were taught and raised. And or you can choose this approach, the strengths approach. And so to underscore it, they've all taken the Clifton strengths. They have their reports. And we're going to get into first the philosophy of why this strengths approach works. Give them the, the 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 data for those who like the data, the science, you know, all the things that matter. And then we're going to get into just purely you, <laughs> helping you to be a great a great manager, a great boss, using your strengths. And so now now in the session, whether it's classroom or coaching, we're going to dig into who you are and start to uncover how we get here. So often. Um, where, and you probably might uh, have something similar, the coaching is is where we really see movement. We really, because now we're applying strengths to a problem. We're applying it to a negative situation. And this this really opens doors. So in that workshop setting, classroom setting, almost all virtual at this point, um, that's going to lead into some coaching. And then we have um, some digital learning that goes along. So some assets that they get. Uh, I, I don't pretend to say it's anywhere close to what you were describing earlier, <laughs> but but some ways that we, we've we managed to make that work. So that's how strengths uh, actually makes its way into the workshop and then into our coaching. Very cool. And I see you guys, and we're talking in the, the pre-show, um, that you work with a wide variety of organizations from, it looks like the FDA to so in you know government organizations to private institutions who if who among our listeners should reach out to you so when so when we work with the public sector so if you're in a local government uh, or state government even even federal and you have an or a team either you're responsible for or you're on and you're looking at this thinking we we could be better <laughs> So typically, if, if you're the type that you know that you have either access to resources to work with your team, or um, you might think there's a way to, whether it's grant fund, whether it's a budget cycle that you're in, uh, those are great conversations, great starters of, I think I think we, we have some challenges here. Um, we'd like to talk to someone and get an assessment. And that's, we, we don't charge for that, to do a little health assessment with you about your org, and then start to think about some of your solutions. On the other side... Uh, if you're an HR person and you are tasked with the retention in your organization, <laughs> as well as the connection to engagement, and you are finding more problems than solutions right now, and, and if there's a resource that might assist that you haven't looked at, you've looked under every other rock, um, this might be an appropriate time to look at another option that might might work in your context. Got it. Very cool. So just to to break that down, it sounds like if you're an organizational leader decision maker or an influencer in your organization and you have conflicts and brother, I've been there, uh, worked in organizations that are, are life sucking and it can be rough. So if, uh, if you're listening to this and, and you just want to, you know, call somebody in to, to take a look, um, Brandon, it sounds like you and your team are a tremendous resource and that is 34 strong, uh, com. That's three, four, the numbers and then strong spelled S T rong.com. Um, so we'll include that link in the show notes. Absolutely. But so I want to be respectful of your time, but before we leave, I want to ask you to, to share anything else. If there's any other, you know, takeaways or, or nuggets that you want to leave our listeners with. Sure. So, uh, depending on the timing of, of when you're hearing this, if your organization is in crisis, so we, we talked about something that sounded a little more healthy, <laughs> sure. but if you're in crisis, um, we, have spent significant time in the realm of public health and in healthcare. And for the first time ever, employee engagement went down in the United States uh, in 10 years. First time we've seen it decline. And the primary anchor that brought it down was the healthcare side of things. Hmm. So whether that's your health system or in the government, the public health, food and drug, whatever is associated there, 
because that's I think we're just burned out. I think people are tired. So if that's you, that's a particular area we've worked a lot in and that crisis care to get back to stabilization. Um, if you're here today and you know your org is hurting, um, that is a conversation. And Michael, at this last point, um, if if you, Mike, or a member of your team, or, or if you have listeners that reach out to you and would like to know their manager strengths, they're in a management role, they're in a role, um, we're happy to provide them with a code to go learn those and with a follow-up call to one of us to debrief it. Oh, wow. It's something that we're, yeah, it's something that we're putting out in, in certain pockets. So this is for, this is for Mike's listeners, for, for Teams & Co. Um, happy to provide that and and give some follow-up if that seems appropriate. That's me. Well, Brandon, we really, really appreciate that. And we will absolutely take you up on that. Um, I'll, I'll include those in the show notes. So if you're listening and you're interested in connecting with Brandon, getting a code, learning more about your strengths, and then having a, a call with Brandon or somebody on his team, um, be sure to check out the show notes in this episode and and those will be included in there. So um, Brandon, it is fantastic uh, meeting with you and uh, you know, really appreciate you taking the time to join our podcast. There's been so much here and I know there's so many other ways where we could have taken this conversation. I, I think we could have probably talked for hours, um, but this has been a great start and, and really look forward to getting to know you more in the future and keeping this relationship going. And for everybody on our podcast, again, thank you so much for <clears throat> tuning in. For all of our listeners who have been with us for a long time, really appreciate all of you continuing to listen. And uh, if you're a new listener, somebody that uh, checks out, uh, that's checking us out because of your relationship with Brandon, I would encourage you to listen more to this podcast. We have conversations like this weekly with tremendous uh, organizational leaders uh, from a lot of different spectrums. So our, our goal is to... Uh, just learn from a lot of great people and bring new perspectives into conversations around uh, teams, culture, and building better organizations. So with that, uh, this was the Building Teams with Teams & Co. podcast, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams & Co. To learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice.